Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome one and all to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Monday means EJ Raddick from the NHL Network, NHL Now. Between the hours of 4 and 6 Eastern Time, you occasionally hear them do play-by-play on their weekend showcase games. EJ, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good, John. I was was, uh, in Raleigh for the Stadium Series game over the weekend, and it was was a fabulous event. I got to say, it really was great. You know, I'm glad you brought that up first because I wanted to talk about it. You know, we we talk about the NHL and hockey's place in the sports world. And the the first thing you look at is, you know, television ratings and national interest. But I think the angle for hockey has always been regional. And I think the the NHL and hockey in particular can stick their chest out about what happened over the weekend in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is Raleigh, North Carolina. They've been in the league for 20 years since moving to Hartford. All right. A non-traditional hockey market. Uh, nearly 57,000 people to watch an outdoor game. And I was there the week before, EJ, to do the Ranger game, and it's all anybody was talking about that down there, and they were totally into it. The team is really good, and that that's a success story to me. Uh, there was a time not that long ago where you would think getting 57,000 Southerners to gather in NASCAR Nation to watch a hockey team, you would think you were out of your mind. And and that's happening more times than not around the National Hockey League. So kudos to the event. It was fun. Uh, probably not that fun for the Washington Capitals, but you were there. Just tell us about the experience and what you thought about uh, uh, the overall uh, scope of, of the, these stadium games and what they've done for some of the markets. Yeah, I mean, I think on a, from a national perspective, um, you know, people will say, well, the outdoor games, they've been done, we've seen them. And that's true, we have seen them. You know, if you're home, watch it on TV, maybe it's not as um, as much of something. It, is, it certainly isn't anything new like it was when Sidney Crosby and the Penguins and the, and the uh, Ryan Miller and the Sabres got together for that first Winter Classic, you know, in the kind of drifting snow and... You know that was kind of a TV event that day, but no, I think it's I think this was the 37th outdoor game. I'd yes. be off on that number by one or two, but um, but it really was. You know, I think of I think of this along the same lines as what I saw the Winter Classic in 2020 in Dallas, the Stadium Series game in Nashville that took place. I mean, Dallas, Nashville, Raleigh, three places that you know when you and I were growing up. They were definitely, you would have said, non-traditional hockey markets. They didn't even have hockey teams or NHL teams in any of those places uh, as we started uh, the 1990s, right? So um, now they are hockey markets. It's a great game. It's fun to watch in person. When now NHL teams have gone there. There's been success in those places. Two of the three won Stanley Cups. One of them went to a Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, they've grown fan bases there. There are there are kids that play hockey. I know coaching youth hockey. Obviously, Dallas has produced a lot of 
really good players, and some have gone on to the NHL. Carolina, there's a number of really good youth programs that play out of Carolina now, and there's good players coming out of there, and the same can be said for Nashville. So it was a great event. It was a celebration of 25 years of uh, hockey in Carolina. I think it was more apropos that it was held this year, I guess, with all the things that have changed in the world over the last couple of years, the schedule they got moved back, and so it, it hit the 25th anniversary of the games being in Carolina when they got there. Remember, they were... They were, I guess they were training in Raleigh and taking buses to Greensboro to play their yeah. games because the arena wasn't ready. I mean, and there was large crowds there. I mean, I talked to Justin Williams down in, in Raleigh. He was there as they were celebrating the 2006 Stanley Cup champion team. And, you know, he said, I said, how was it when you got traded from Philly, Carolina? He goes, well, my first game was a Monday night against Ottawa. And he goes, Man, there might have been 3,000 people in the stands. And that was like 2000 and Four, 2006, somewhere in there. Um, so it's come a long, long way over time. And then when they say 57,000 with that building, Johnny, I looked up, I was calling the game for NHL International, and I had a pretty good spot in the lower, like the top of the lower bowl, and looking across at the other side. I looked to my left, I looked to my right, I looked straight ahead. There was filled by a person. <laughs> I mean, it was jammed in the... Uh, Stadium there, which is the home of North Carolina State football team, uh, it was absolutely jammed. People were really into it. It was the league did a great job with the event, as they always do. There was a lot of things to do. You mentioned it. Sign the signage, and the, it was all over the town. I mean, that was the, that was a huge event. So great for the league. It's great for uh, for that franchise. They got a really good team there, and uh, you know these kind of events in the markets in which they're played, they're a big deal still. Again, nationally TV ratings. I don't know what ABC got on Saturday night. I mean, that's for others to discuss. I'm just telling you that in those markets, when they happen in Dallas in 2020, in Nashville for the Stadium Series last year, and in Raleigh this year, it's a big deal and it's a big event. And uh, in Seattle, next year at the Winter Classic, it's going to be the same. That's going to be a really big event in that town, and they're going to be really excited about it. So I like it. I think the league has kind of gotten a nice number with three outdoor games a year, one in Canada, and then the Winter Classic and then a mm-hmm. Stadium Series game. I like it. I think it's fine, and they do a great job with it. I think, if anything, people who work NHL events give them a lot of credit because those those guys and those, those men and women have to go from the Winter Classic, the All-Star Weekend, to a Stadium Series game all in the span of about six weeks. That's a lot of work. No, it's a tremendous a lot of work that they do, and a great job with these stadium series because Carolina's not going to be in contention, you would think, at least in the immediate future, for a winter classic. Right? So now they get to experience what that outdoor game is like. So I thought it was great. Uh, to the hockey standpoint of it, it kind of hurt that you didn't have one of the biggest stars of the game, Alex Ovechkin, yeah. in the contest, and as he's you know mourning the death of his father, and I guess he's going to be back uh, for their next game, which is coming up against Detroit. At least that's the hope or the plan. But, you know, EJ, we need to start wrapping our mind around the fact of something that we've talked about quite a bit over the last couple of years, but we may be living in a world right now where Pittsburgh and Washington are not going to make the playoffs. It's possible. I mean, I think Pittsburgh still has more of a chance than Washington. They have, uh, you know, you look at it, they're, they're in a spot still, and they, have, and they have games in hand on some of the teams. But you're right. I mean, this is, it's anybody's ball game. It, it's, uh, there's two spots open in the East. 
And there's about six teams, if you want to include Ottawa in there, it might be seven. I don't even am losing track of the math, but um, Ottawa's been on a great run. I think they're 7-1-1 and one in their last nine, and that's a, with like fourth and fifth goalies in their organization. Right. So, um, I mean, there's, there, that's going to be a dogfight for those two spots. You're absolutely right. Pittsburgh and Washington could both miss. I think they do still have, you know, that winning pedigree, when Washington, if Washington could ever get healthy, I mean, the biggest thing right now, Don, is that they don't have John Carlson. He's got hit in the head with a puck right near the ear. He's been out for a while. Uh, I didn't get the feeling talking to Brian McClellan and some of the people around the Caps that, it's, that he'll be back tomorrow. They're, they're, they're hopeful. He's got uh, some upcoming, I guess, more medical tests that he has to go through. That's a big loss for the Washington Capitals. It's like when Chris Letang is out for a long stretch for the Penguins. I mean, but it's even more so in Washington where their defense is already kind of thin as it is. When you take John Carlson, who's a 23, 25-minute-a-night guy who plays in all situations, and he's a big, strong guy and an experienced guy, take him out of the mix. In hockey, everything rolls downhill. You know, you have that number one center. Everything rolls around that throughout your forward group. You have your number one defensemen, kind of things roll off that. When he's out of the mix for this kind of stretch of time, mm-hmm. boy, oh boy, it's a stress on some of those other players, and it's a challenge. So the Capitals, to me, they've got a goalie in Kemper. He played well the other night, even though they lost 4-1. to one. If they could get Carlson back, Ovechkin comes back, Backstrom, Wilson played the other night, had a goal. I mean, I think they still got a shot, but boy, oh boy, it's going to be a dogfight, I think, with all these teams. Some good young teams are Detroit and and Buffalo and Ottawa's making a push, and, and then you have those veteran teams we talked about, and uh, you know it's it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, and the Islanders take a hit. Not only have they played more games than all the teams that you're talking about for this race for the final playoff spot, but they lose Matt Barzell indefinitely with a lower body injury. And EJ, some reports are saying that uh, this could affect him going into next year, that he might be done for the season. Well, that's a huge loss. I mean, there's no question about it. He's lost for the outers if he's out because he's one of the guys in that group of forwards that is you know, has a little bit of uh, speed and, and, and youth and, and brings a little of that to that group. I mean, they have a lot of guys in that forward group that are all in the same window. They're not the fastest group. They kind of, uh, they kind of grind. Um, so, yeah, that'll be, a, that'll be a big loss. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, like what I just said, everything rolls off the top of your lineup. I mean, certainly at the top of their forward group, it'll, it'll definitely, uh, it'll definitely certainly make forward that. Brock Nelson, Andres Lee, those those players are going to have to just pick up more of the slack if indeed he's going to be out for any stretch of time. And the Islanders, to me, though, at the end of the day, I mean, they lean on the goaltender. They have to lean on that defensive group. And so they'll miss Barzell, I mean, because they, they don't score a ton. But, I mean, let's face it. They're going to get, if they get there, it's going to be because Roken is playing very, very well. And because they've played good defense. So that'll be even more mm-hmm. stress now. We'll have to see how it plays out. You know, massive game tonight in Pittsburgh against the Penguins, the the first wild card team in Pittsburgh and the second wild team wild card team in the Islanders. Trade deadlines coming up on March third, but we're seeing massive deals before then and let's get your thoughts on the big uh, Ryan O'Reilly to Toronto that happened over the weekend. 
Well, the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, they they have to make a push. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I think, again, it goes back to the, the market pressures and the situation for the management guys there. I mean, I would think that, I get the sense, I mean, Kyle Dubas, I believe, is in the last year of his contract. And, you know, uh, I don't know if his job is in jeopardy or not, but the bottom line is they haven't got out of the first round. No matter how, how well they have played as a team during his tenure, they have not advanced out of the first round. And it's, they've had some, you know, I would say the year that we played, they played in the North Division. That was a year they should have, really, that was the year they could have gone to the Stanley Cup final because they were coming through divisions that I think there was a possibility for them to make a run. It didn't work out. Tavares got hurt. They lost to Montreal. And, you know, that was a bitterly disappointing loss for them. Uh, losing to Tampa in seven games when, you know, they were right there nip and tuck with the Lightning. Um, I don't think that's as much of a, a negative. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning have beaten a lot of teams over the last couple of years in playoff series. But, uh, you know, they feel like they, they've got to make a push now, and management has to make a push now. So Ryan O'Reilly is a really good player. Uh, he's a centerman. He can win faceoffs. He can do a lot of things for your team. He's been a consummate winner. He's been a Stanley Cup winner. Brings all those things to Toronto, and all those things I think are valuable. When you get, in, get into a game seven, if push comes to shove, and a tight game late, a player like that could make a play, could win a faceoff, could score a goal. I think it will give them more options in their forward group. I would prefer they play the three centers, Matthews, Tavares, and O'Reilly, one, two, three down the middle. Um, they started off by moving Tavares to the wing and having O'Reilly play center. So I don't know how that's going to play out, but the, but the beauty of that is it gives Sheldon Keith more options and more choices. And he had the, and he gets the fourth line right shot centerman in Nolachari and didn't lose the sight of the value that he could bring to the back end of that group as well. So. Mm. You know, I think the Leafs are trying to make a push. They're trying to find ways to... They're going to play the Tampa Bay Lightning most likely in the first round, and they've got to find ways to beat them. So I think this really helps them, and, you know, they're willing to part with uh, you know, some assets to get it done. So uh, we'll see how it plays out with them. But I think, uh, you know, if I'm, the, if, I'm the, if I'm in that room or if I'm a fan, I'm really excited that they made the move. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Rangers get reacquired Tyler Mott, who was a big help to them in the playoffs last year. They give up Julian Gauthier, and I, I liked Gauthier. I, I know he didn't have a lot of finish, but he had speed, and yeah, I, I'm going to miss him just covering him. But I, I guess Mott just makes sense rounding out that fourth line. I'm not sure if this is it for the Rangers going forward or whether they want to even add more. 
uh, because they've got nine really legit forwards, three legitimate lines that can score. And I guess they're just going to kind of rely on that fourth line to be bangers. Mott comes in. I think he leads the league in hits. And, you know, Barkley, Goudreau, and LeCision, I guess, round out the fourth line. But just your thought of Mott and what else the Rangers might do. Well, I'm with you on Julian Gauthier. I still think there's some upside there, but I don't think he fits with the Rangers anymore because I, I think he's really a middle six forward, not a fourth-line player. And he's played a lot of the fourth line, and he's been kind of in and out. I think there's still some upside there. I know talking to some scouts, uh, you know, there was interest in Julian Gauthier, and um, it ends up the Ottawa Senators are able to make the move. Uh, I don't know what his long-term future is there, either, to be honest with you, because they've got a lot of forward stacked up, a lot of good young forwards, so he might be a piece for them down the road to move, but it was clear that, you know, for Mott was not somebody that they thought was uh, really someone that's going to be long-term in their plans, so they get Gauthier, who's got some upside to his game, he's got size and, size and speed, and he's got a little bit of finish once in a while, we'll see if he can be more consistent in that area down the road, but... Uh, you know, Mott is, is what he is, and I think that's what attracted Chris Drury to him. I mean, and they know him. They had him last year. And I saw him in Vancouver play last year a lot for Bruce Boudreau last season prior to when the Rangers acquired him. And, like, he's fast. He can help you kill penalty. He gets in. He's not afraid to get in get in be physical. But he is exactly, you know, exactly what you're getting with, with Tyler Mott. He's a fourth-line player. And when I looked at the Rangers at the start of the season, and really throughout the first couple of months, that was the one area of their team, and it's not to nitpick, but I was like, boy, I don't like the back end of their group of forwards. Like, like what are they? You know, and, and now I think, and I think Chris Roy probably saw some of that too, and he's kind of defined that more with uh, the, the acquisitions he's made. By getting Tarasenko, it moves back guys. I mean, you move back Goodrill in your lineup a little bit. Now you add Mott. So I think Chris Drury is, is doing a really nice job uh these additions and trying to just kind of fill out the lineup and put guys in the right spots to be really successful and answer any questions that you have in games. Like, you know, now they have a fourth line that has a little bit, they're a little bit more defined as to who they are. So uh, I like that. So I think it's a good move for the Rangers. And, and I, I'll be curious to see what Julian Gauthier, what's going to happen in his career, because I do think he's got some ability, he's got some size, he's got some speed. He's a former first-round pick. Sometimes it works out for those guys, sometimes it doesn't. I would always say that three years ago we were probably looking at Paige Thompson and saying, boy, I don't know if he's ever going to make it. Right. He's turned into a a megastar in the league. Now, I'm not saying Julian Gauthier is going to be anywhere near that. But maybe Julian Gauthier could be a decent player for somebody down the road, so we'll see how it plays out for him. All right, now out west, uh, I don't know how deep you're willing to go. I, I think Calgary is the only team on the outside looking in that can make it. I, I know Nashville put up a touchdown against the Panthers over the weekend. I just don't think they're good enough to make up this gap. Right now, they sit seven points out of a playoff spot. They do have a couple of games in hand on Minnesota, but I, I just think their average and their goal differential proves they're kind of below average. But Calgary, a lot of dysfunction um, – Huberto's agent made some comments on Twitter about the dysfunction going on in the locker room. Huberto doesn't want any ownership of it before the game against the Rangers on Saturday. But, EJ, I don't know how you feel about it, but, you know, if you're not going to take ownership of what your agent said, right, after before a game, then the next word out of your mouth has to be, I just let him go. 
because if, <laughs> if, if because if you're not if you're not firing him, then I have no other choice but to assume you're on board with his comments, right? I mean, so you could say I don't know anything about it. That's my agent. Okay, then the next words out of your mouth is I've just let him go. I'm hiring another agent. You have any uh, you have any uh, business cards you can yeah. give me on agents? Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to have to assume this came through Huberto or was um, conversations that they had off the record that he decided to make public. Well, Alan Walsh has been somebody in his career, the agent, he's Huberto's agent. He's been a long-time agent. He's been a very successful agent. He's had a lot of different clients over the years, going back uh, Patrick Elias, uh, he had Marion Gabrick early in Marion's career, then Marion decided to make a change. But, you know, Alan has had a lot of clients, Marc-Andre Fleury, and he's been, he's been willing to tweet and comment on different players. We saw that with Marc-Andre Fleury, right? I believe it was the sword for the back. Oh, yeah. Is that the that was an Alan Walsh uh, production? <laughs> so you know, and, and Mark Andre Fleury didn't. You know, it was the same kind of situation. You, you know, I did. You know, my agent was speaking, and me, uh, and you know, eventually Mark Andre Fleury was out of Vegas, and uh, you know, ended up in Chicago, and then he ended up in Minnesota, where he is now. But uh, Alan has his opinion. I, you know, again, I haven't spoken to Alan, and I haven't spoken to Jonathan Ubido, but I, I have to think that. Allen has some knowledge of, does talk to his client and has some uh, idea. I mean, I don't think he just came up with this out of thin air. So, yeah, it's, 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 it can be problematic for the team and for the, you know, and for the player. I think that's the thing is it puts the player in a situation where now he's got to answer a lot of questions at your point when the, you know, the, the player then doesn't you know, decide to move on from the agent, it makes you, you know, let's face it, we all just start to, you know, wonder exactly what happened there. It's, it's kind of smoke around the team that is unnecessary at this time. And Daryl Sutter was asked about it, and he just said, hey, it's a tight group, and in the room, stays in the room, and, you know, that was his take. I don't know what else he's supposed to say there. But um, I don't think, listen, here's the bottom line for me. I don't like their team. Yeah. I thought their team would be better on paper this year than I thought it was last year. That has not been the case. When I watched their team last year, they were on you. They, you could not breathe. Uh, you know, you would, and they get a lead in the game. They were terrific. Their goaltender was great. He had like nine shutouts last year. He was a Vesna candidate. This year, their team is slower. Uh, they're not as opportunistic offensively. They don't scare me offensively. I don't think their defense is that great, and their goaltender has been terrible. You know, Markstrom sent that series last year against the Edmonton Oilers. Has just lost it. You know, right now he is just fighting it constantly. We did a stat on our show last week about, like, his save percentage on the first shot of the game, right? The first shot, this is as of last week. First shot of the game, his save percentage throughout his start this year is 8.57. The league average on the first shot was somewhere around 9.50. So that is a significant problem when a goaltender comes in and is struggling right out of the gate. And we did the second shot of the game, so you know, through the first three shots, and he was still well below the league average. So. It's the, you know, when your goaltenders are struggling, and especially when a starting goaltender you pay a lot of money to, who was your guy last year and was a Vesna candidate last year, now you got that's a, that's a big problem to start with when your group as a whole is not as dynamic 
a team and is not, uh, like I said, that Flames team last year, I thought during the regular season watching them, they were terrific. Yeah. And this year, that's not the team. And then you add in, and this goes for any coach, so it's not taking on Daryl Sutter. Daryl's a hard-driving guy. You know what? Peter Laviolette's a hard-driving guy. Mike Sullivan's a hard-driving guy. Great coaches are hard-driving guys. They wear out teams after a while. That's why Bruce Cassidy was a hard-driving guy. The Boston Ruins, they were a little worn of Bruce Cassidy. You know, Vegas, it's a new start for him there. He's done very well in Vegas. Guess what? The Boston Ruins, a new, a new voice in Jim Montgomery, they've taken off this year again. So sometimes that's part of it as well. At the end of the day, the Calgary Flames right now, as they're currently constituted, are just not good enough. And, and you know, Jonathan Huberto has underperformed. Now it's a tough situation for him. He's coming in someplace new. It's, it hasn't clicked yet for him there. Maybe that will change over time. Maybe next year, second full season, he'll take off. I thought he was great last year with Florida. And there's a lot to change. That's a big change to go from the Florida Panthers to Calgary Flames. Yeah. So we'll see how it plays out. But, you know, I listen, I'm with you in terms of, listen, if you're going to disavow what the guy said, then you, you probably want to say, hey, listen, I need different representation. But that's <laughs> really not how it works. These guys, as you know, they, they're not going to say, you know, like John Manuber is not going to say, yeah, listen, Alan was damn right. He's 100% right. He's in a tough spot, so he's going to say, well, you know, I, you know he's going to him and haw a little bit. And... You know, and it puts everybody in a situation where they have, they're asked a question they don't want to be asked. Yeah. So that's why it makes everybody uncomfortable. But that's been Alan's whole career, and Alan fights for his clients, and we can agree or disagree on if that's a good idea or not. For me, I don't know if that would be the way I would approach it, but Alan's been consistent in his whole career. I mean, he's been, he was critical of Johnson and Drouin years ago. Mark, I can go through a list of players. That, that Allen has been very public in, in, in the way he battles for them, and I would assume that those players, because they stay with him, appreciate that. So we'll see what happens. But the Calgary Flames, Donnie, the bottom line is, I don't think they're that good, and if they get in the yeah. playoffs, it'll be because somebody else is worse than them. I don't think they're that good. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. Well, I know you got to run. Thanks so much for everything, and we will talk to you next week. Always a pleasure, Don. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That is the great, and I mean great, E.J. Raddick. Catch him on the NHL Network, 4 to 6 Eastern on NHL Now. Does a tremendous job there and, of course, does plenty of uh, hockey play-by-play for them as well. And as you heard, had the stadium series game between the Caps and the Hurricanes for NHL International. One other tidbit, and we had to run with E.J. I would have got his thoughts on this, but... You know, Jonathan Taves, there's been a lot of rumors about him getting dealt, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen now. Uh, the Blackhawks announced he is struggling with long COVID, hasn't played since January 28th, and now we're going on close to a month now, and the hope is he'll be back before the end of the season. But really, can you afford, unless things dramatically change between now and March 3rd, or you get some sort of assurances that he'll be able to play after March 3rd? I don't think you're going to take a chance on 
making a trade for him. And, and that's kind of a shame because I still think he has some ability. He's a great leader, uh, somebody that can really help a young team like the Devils, which has been suggested before, that doesn't have a ton of postseason experience, knowing they're going to the playoffs to have somebody like him. But can you afford to make that move if there's huge question marks on whether he's going to be able to play or how effective he'll be able to play? And there's so much unknown about long COVID, right, just to know – you know exactly when somebody's going to be back to 100% and will they stay 100%. So that kind of unknown, I would think, unless something dramatically changes over the next couple of weeks, uh, will take Jonathan Taves off the table as a trade chip for Chicago and a player that can really help some teams down the stretch. Now, today is President's Day, so there's a lot of afternoon hockey, so some of these games may be over by the time you listen to this podcast. But, you know, the big games for me, uh, obviously the Islanders and the Penguins. You heard about Matt Barzell. But as EJ said, this is a team that even with Barzell and Horvat, uh, they're not going to score a ton of goals, and it's really going to rely on their goaltending to be tremendous. And, you know, Penguins desperate for victory. They lost to the Devils the other night. Um, they right now have that first playoff spot, but it's very precarious with the way Buffalo's playing. Detroit, they did suffer a loss in Seattle on Saturday, but still had a tremendous Western swing. So I think Detroit's very much involved uh, in this conversation. Um, Florida, certainly right there. They've got a game today against the Ducks. You figure if you want to fancy yourself a playoff team, you've got a home game against the Ducks, you should be able to get two points, which would put Florida at 64, which would jettison them right into the wild card mix. Somebody's getting points in the Pittsburgh Islander game, so they won't jump off of both over both teams, but a chance to jump over one of those teams. You know, Bruins plus 90 goal differential continue to march on their home against Ottawa for a 1 o'clock start. Uh, Seattle is in San Jose. I give the Sharks credit. They've been pesky. They're not going to the playoffs and certainly after they make their deals at the deadline are going to be a lot worse off. But they're a pesky team and the Flames they're home at 4 o'clock against the Philadelphia Flyers. Again, Flames they played, they blew a two goal lead after scoring two goals in 46 seconds against the Rangers. Um, but they did get their two points and they're going to need to win a home game against Philadelphia to try to climb back into the playoff race. Rangers with Mott, Tarasenko, home against the Winnipeg Jets. Jets blew a one-goal lead in the third. They never do that, uh, but the Devils had just been terrific this season. Fight back. Devils had a lackluster performance against the Blues and lost, and they come right back and beat Pittsburgh and Winnipeg in back-to-back games. So Winnipeg, second of back-to-backs against the Ranger team. They just had a terrific four-game road trip, seven of a possible eight points. Did earn a point they probably didn't deserve on Saturday in Calgary, but they got it. So the Rangers holding on to that third spot. And it's looking, unless unless either the Devils or the Rangers can make a run here at Carolina, it looks like the Devils and Rangers are pretty much locked into a first-round matchup, which is kind of a shame. Both teams having terrific seasons, one of those teams staring at an early exit. Uh, but Carolina could still be caught, right? The Devils sit three points back of Carolina. However, the Hurricanes do have a game in hand. The Devils do have the tiebreaker against Carolina. So the Devils can still catch Carolina to stop that first-round matchup. And the Rangers, they sit seven back of Carolina. Carolina does have a game in hand. Um, the Rangers uh, do not have the tiebreakers against Carolina. However, they've beat them twice uh, head-to-head so far this year. So there's still plenty of hockey to kind of change that. But it does look like first-round Devils-Rangers is pretty much locked in. It looks like first-round Leafs and the Lightning pretty much locked in in the um, in the East. Uh, out West, everything... Uh, 
is kind of jumbled up there. Anybody can win the Central Division. Uh, anybody can win the Pacific Division. The Kings are just a point back. Seattle, two points back. How about that? I'm not sure too many people paid attention to it because it was late on Saturday, but I was watching along with the Rangers and the Flames. I was doing the pre and post for that and then stayed up late to watch the end of Coyotes and Kings. I don't know if anybody caught that. 5-1. Kings scored five goals in the first period. They had a 5-1 to one lead after one, and they didn't win the game until the shootout. The Coyotes came way back to at least earn a point. Uh, so the Coyotes have actually played pretty well, 5-1-4 and four over that span. But on the road, down four goals after one, they actually fought back to earn a point. The Coyotes are a pesky team to play, uh, but the Kings did earn the two points. So they um, are only one more game played than Vegas and Seattle. So the Kings, give them credit, 7-2-1 and one over their last 10. They've won four in a row, so the Kings very much could win that division. So to answer any questions, the West is still very much wide open as far as matchups are concerned but it looks like devils rangers in the first round leafs and the lightning in the first round uh pretty much uh locked up there we'll see how it goes uh the rest of the way all right this is a lot of fun thanks to ej raddick thanks to anthony pusick we'll get to your uh tweets and comments on wednesday that's will be our next game misconduct so we want to do that at don lagreca hashtag game misconduct we'll be back with you again on wednesday this was the monday edition of game misconduct This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.